0: Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. All
1: right. Well, good morning, everybody. Can you give me a thumbs up if you can hear me? All right. Lots of thumbs up. That's great. Um, Hey, it is uh, so great to see all of you, or to see so many of you at once. I mean, it's crazy to think that it's been since last March that we've kind of all been together in one, able to kind of see each other like this. And I love being able to see your faces. I'm really enjoying watching, especially the families with little ones uh, try to have church and navigate little ones as well. Um, Lauren and I have done that at home, so grace, grace to you families that are trying to uh, do this. And we understand that you'll probably be in and out quite a bit as, as you try to keep a hold of your little ones. Um, Nate always keeps us on our toes whenever we try to watch something as a family. Um, so anyway, yeah, I have, uh, I've never preached in this kind of setup before. So we'll see how this goes. But I am excited to do this today, because today I'm going to be beginning a new series called um, Standing Firm. And um, let me share my screen with you here. All right. And and what this series is about is it's an in-depth look at the book of 2 Peter. Now, not many of us are familiar with 2 Peter. That might be a new book for you, but um, this is a, a book that I think that uh, has a really relevant message for us in 2021. It addresses many of the same challenges that we face today. You know, even though it was written in the first century, the, the it is very relevant for us. It deals with things like the struggle of holding on to our faith in the midst of an unbelieving culture, or the challenges of holding to uh, of the, auth- to the uh, challenges to the authenticity of the Bible, or questioning biblical sexual ethics, or even the questioning of the belief in the second coming of Jesus. So I think 2 Peter has plenty to say to us as we seek to live as followers of Jesus in the 21st century. But uh, before we dive into the text, I want to give you a little bit of background, which will help you hopefully with uh, y- your understanding of it. First of all, what I want to say is the book of Peter is um, a book and it's not a letter. It's, uh, it's actually, you know, for, for those, most of you are aware of this, but if you're new to the Bible, you may not understand this. We call it the book of 2 Peter, but really it's a letter and not, not necessarily a personal letter written from one person to another, but, but it was a letter that was intended for a wide audience. It was um, intended to be passed from church to church and read in church services. And in the early church, of course, they didn't have a Bible. So these letters were vital, and they served as a guide in doctrine and theology and moral instruction and just addressed the practical issues of Christian life and church life in the first century. But when you read to Peter, you'll find that it's intense. It is an intense book. And there's a reason for that. There's There's a sense of urgency about it. And that's for two reasons. First of all, it's intense because the threats the church was facing, uh, the church was facing serious threats to its existence. Um, the, the audience of the letter were the fledgling churches of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And they were facing enormous pressure, both internal and external pressure uh, to its existence. You know, uh, the, the external pressure was the persecution that was happening. Uh, This was written most likely at the time when Nero was in power, and Nero is infamous for his persecution of Christians, and so Rome was cracking down on Christians, Uh, local authorities were cracking down on Christians, because Christianity represented a threat to the existing power structures in that world. And so there's external pressure, you know, when when persecution happens and people start getting killed or injured or sent to prison or losing their possessions— Uh, things get intense in a hurry. But it was also facing internal pressure, and that was coming from uh, both moral corruption inside the church and heretical teaching. And because these churches were new, because they didn't have a Bible to refer to, there there was a real threat that these things would cause the church to, to implode, to just kind of rot from the inside and collapse before it really got going. So 2 Peter is mostly focused on that internal pressure, the the heretical teaching and some of the moral corruption that they were facing. But 2 Peter is also intense because Peter's death was imminent. It was, uh, and he makes this really clear in the early part of the book. He says in chapter one, verses 14 and 15, that he says, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you are all, you will always remember these things after I am gone. So Peter says, you know, hey, I, I, guys, Jesus has shown me that I'm out of here soon. Now, we don't know how Jesus showed him this, but there's an interesting Catholic tradition of, that, that may be how this happened. I, I've always found this story fascinating. And, and the story goes that, that when the Romans began to crack down on Christians living in Rome under the reign of Nero, Peter tried to flee on the Via Appia, the, the road leading out of Rome. And as he snuck out of the city, Peter sees someone walking towards him in the direction of the city. So he's going the opposite way. And, and when they get close enough to see his face, Peter recognizes him, and it's the last person he expected to see. It's Jesus. And Peter's shocked, and he, he asks Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus says to him, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. And here's a a, a painting depicting this uh, scene. And Peter realizes in that moment that what Jesus meant here was that he's saying, I'm going back. I'm going to be crucified again through you. So Peter turns around and he goes back into the city. Now, we don't have a lot of verification for this anecdote, but I've always found it fascinating. And what the, But what church history does tell us is that Peter was martyred in Rome by Nero in a really gruesome manner. Uh, the church historian Jerome writes this. He says, at Nero's hands, Peter received the crown of martyrdom, being nailed to the cross with his head towards the ground and his feet raised on high, asserting that he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. So in other words, what he's saying there is that uh, is that Peter, when he he when he was not only was he sentenced to be crucified, but when he was crucified, Peter said, hey, I'm not worthy of dying in the same way as as Jesus. So he asked to be crucified upside down. Imagine that. So Peter is intense because his death is imminent and because the church is facing uh, serious threats to its existence. So this letter, it was written not long before uh, the, these events took place in Peter's death. And so here's how the letter opens. Let's look at the first four verses together. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you, who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now, <clears throat> it's such a, a beautiful passage, but I just want to go back and look more closely at what he's saying in each of these verses because. Um, there really are. There's so much here that it, I think we need to kind of slow down and just take a, a careful look at it. Now, starting in verse one, what makes this significant is when you understand who he's writing to. Peter, when you understand that his write, he's writing not to fellow Jews, but to Gentiles, people who these are people who were excluded from Judaism. But now, thanks to what, as he says, there the justice and fairness of Jesus. They now share in the same faith that Peter has. And and it's hard for us to appreciate what a monumental shift this is for a conservative Jew to put himself on equal terms to say, hey, we share the same precious faith with people he had once despised and looked down on. I mean, honestly, probably the best comparison is when a hardcore racist repents and wholeheartedly embraces people of other races. Now, Peter understood now that the, the gospel is for everyone, probably better than anyone else, because he was the one who God used to usher the Gentiles into the faith. In Acts 10, we read the account of when God sent Peter to the house of the Roman centurion Cornelius. And when Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius's household, it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out and the entire household believed it was baptized. And and at that moment, such a significant moment, because that was the first moment that Gentiles, non-Jews, became Christians. They entered into the kingdom of God. And it was then that that it finally registered with Peter, oh, the gospel is not just for Jews, it's for everyone. And this is the beauty of Christianity. It's It's for all people at all times. It is not for any special race you know, most of us who are listening today, we're not Jewish, and so we're the direct beneficiaries of what God did that day in Cornelius' home. So um, this is such a significant thing that we all share the same precious faith that the, these apostles had, that, that, that those who walked with Jesus, that the early Jews experienced, and all of us today still share in the same precious faith that Peter was, uh, that Peter was talking about in the first century. And then in verse two, Peter gives them, he tells them about his earnest desire for them. He says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Now, grace and peace are two of the real tangible blessings of our faith. Grace is receiving from God what we don't deserve and what we could never earn. And peace is a deep sense of trust and commitment and contentment, which isn't based on our circumstances but comes from God Himself. But notice that Peter's desire here isn't just that we'd experience grace and peace, but that we'd experience more and more grace and peace. And I, I love that because there is he wants us to experience a greater and greater measure of grace and peace an ongoing increase throughout our christian life and this should encourage us because there is more available than what you're currently experiencing and there is always going to be more available than what you're currently experiencing there's more grace than you can think there's more peace available than you can imagine and and i think that's so encouraging that there's always more. You haven't hit the limit. You haven't hit the ceiling. There's always more grace and peace available for you. But also in this is you you get the expectation of growth or maturing in our faith. And the Christian life is one of growth. You know, we we never stop learning. This is one of the reasons we ask you to take the spiritual growth survey that Lauren mentioned earlier. Um, It's because we want to give you the opportunity to evaluate how you're doing And whether or not you're growing in your faith compared to previous years. So I'll just ask you that question now. You know, how are you doing? Are are you experiencing more of the grace of God in your life than last year? Would you say that you're experiencing more of the peace of God than you were at this time last year? Now, obviously, many of us might not be feeling particularly peaceful in our current circumstances in the midst of a global pandemic. But But since grace and peace aren't based on our circumstances, we can always grow in our experience of these things as we mature in our faith. But but notice also here how Peter intends for us to grow in these things. He says it's by growing in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. See, growing in our knowledge of God is, going to, is, is what enables us to experience that grace and peace. That ever-increasing knowledge of God just increases our experience of grace and peace. And by knowledge, he's not talking about an intellectual, academic knowledge. He's not talking about accumulating theological degrees. He's talking about a relational knowledge of God. You know, for example, take uh, my relationship with Lauren. You now, if I wasn't Lauren's husband, I could probably accumulate lots of facts and information about her. Uh, I could tell you, you know, uh, that she's Canadian. I could tell you that she speaks English. I could tell you that she also speaks French. I could tell you where she went to uni and what she studied there. But it's a completely different thing to be in a relationship with her and know the details of her life and the sound of her laugh and be able to tell what she's feeling just by the look on her face. And that's the knowledge that Peter's talking about here. he's He's talking about a personal relationship with God. And that that we talk about it a lot in in churches, but I think we still struggle to understand that God is more than just a distant concept. He's more than just, this great father sitting on a a big cloud in heaven somewhere. But he's somebody that we can interact with. He's somebody that we can relate to. We can begin to learn what he likes, what he doesn't like, what brings him joy, what brings him pain. We can really know him. And that's what Peter is saying will increase our experience of grace and peace. So then he continues in verse 3. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need. For living a godly life, we've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. I love Peter's assertion there that God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I mean, that is so reassuring to me because I don't know about you, but the enemy loves to lie. Uh, lied to me, and I'm sure he he tries it with you as well. He loves to lie to us and say things like, you know, you don't have what it takes. You're too broken. You're too weak. You're not disciplined enough. You're not devoted enough. You're going to fail. But this promise tells us that those lies are simply not true. God has given us everything we need, and we don't have to fear we don't have to fear because there's no aspect of our faith which we cannot accomplish and no temptation that is so great that we can't overcome it. I mean, this is what Paul meant when he said in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's, you know That's a famous verse. A lot of us are familiar with it. But, but he's really saying the same thing that Peter's saying here. That that God has given us everything we need, the strength that we need for living a godly life. So we have all access to all the strength and wisdom that we need to live out our faith. But notice how Peter says this happens. Once again, it's by coming to know him, coming to know Jesus. It's our relationship with him, our union with him that is the source for the life of faith for the grace and peace that God intends for us to be living in on a a constant basis. And then he moves on to verse four, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says this, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. The promises that we find in Scripture are powerful. Peter is telling us that they enable us to share in his divine nature. I mean, let's just think about that. We get to share in God's very nature. And they protect not only that, but they help us escape the world's corruption. That is the power of truth. That's the power of God's word. There are thousands of promises from God to man in the Bible covering almost every topic you can think of. I mean, we just looked at one in the previous verse that God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That is a promise you can stand on. There are also promises about all kinds of things, you know, promises about fear. God says, "I, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. There are promises about heaven, promises about God's peace. Promises for forgiveness. I mean, there are so I could go on and on. The Bible is full of promises to help us live out the Christian life, and these are the things that we can trust in and rely on, whether we feel it or not. In fact, it's often when things aren't going well that we really need these promises. You know, I, I've heard it said this way: when you count, when you can't count on anything else, you can count. On God's promises. When you can't count on anything else, you can count on God's promises. And God's promises, they're given to us to give us hope in the midst of dark seasons. They're, They're there to help us persevere when it seems like all is lost. They're there to help us when we're battling with temptation and compromise. Trusting in God's promises gives us hope. It gives us strength and helps us overcome the trials that we're facing. So practically, I want to encourage you to choose one or two promises from the Bible that you can focus on. They may be an area you're wanting to grow, or an area you're, want, you're, you're experiencing temptation in, or just an area you're wanting to understand more deeply, and, and just return to those promises on a regular basis. You bring them up in prayer. Thank God for them. Ask him for greater insight and understanding of those promises. I mean, ask him for the courage to simply trust that these promises are true. You know, for me, I have been camping out on the promise that we looked at last autumn that says uh, we have been united with Christ. And that comes from Ephesians two thirteen, and that's such an amazing promise. But I need time to dwell on it in order for it to really sink in and become a reality that I live my life out of. So I begin my prayer times most days by saying, God, thank you that I have been united with you, that I'm in you, that you are in me, that apart from you, I can do nothing. Thank you, God, that I have union. That's not something I need to strive for today. That's something you've already given me. Help me to understand that and live out of it today. And then if we go back to that verse, you know, you also see that that Peter talks about the fact that God's promises help us escape the world's corruption. John Piper points out that the world makes promises as well, but it makes false promises. The the world says if you cheat on your taxes, you'll have more money and you'll be happier. If you cheat on your spouse, you'll have more money and you'll be happier. Or if you cheat on your spouse, (laughs) you'll be happier. If you look at porn, you'll be happier. If you slander your colleague, you'll feel better. If you get drunk, that'll just make everything better. See, the promises of the world offer temporary pleasure or relief, but in the end, they always lead to shame, bondage, addiction, and regret. But the promises of God lead to life and freedom. And Peter says there that the promises of God, like I said, they enable us to become partakers of his divine nature. And w- when we live based on God's promises, what it does is it trains our minds to think like God. Remember what it says in Romans 12, 1, that, that um, we that we become transformed by the renewing of our mind. And living on God's promises is a very practical way to do that. When we begin to live our lives based on God's promises rather than our circumstances or whatever, you know, uh, we normally live our lives on we begin to think like god and when we begin to think like him we begin to act like him and instead of being corrupted we we become partakers of his divine nature so to conclude i just want to ask you what promises of god are you needing today where are you struggling is maybe another way to think about it is there a promise from god for that struggle that you're having Or or, or where are you facing temptation? Find a promise from God in that area. Or, Or where do you want to grow in your faith? You know, I mentioned that passage about union with God, which is an area I'm really wanting to grow in. Maybe there's an area you're wanting to grow in. There are promises in God's word that you can grab hold of, that you can return to, that allows it to really sink deep into our hearts and our minds. So I want to encourage you to, search God's word. I mean, Google searches are really helpful with this. If you want to know what God's word says about a particular topic, if you want to find a promise, just simply Google it and and, and take one or two that really stand out to you and just maybe tape them up in the mirror in your bathroom or put them on the dashboard of your car or put them in your kitchen or or places or at, at your desk at work, wherever you're going on a regular basis. I want to encourage you to just Put those promises there. Let the word of God constantly be transforming your heart and mind by just regularly returning to it. I, I'd also encourage you to memorize it. I mean, in, in my case, you know, uh, we have been united with Christ is not a difficult memory verse. You know, I, I can remember that. Um, so I just encourage you to commit these things to memory. And then when you do it, just spend time God, thanking God for these things, uh, for these truths, these promises, and, and use them to overcome the challenges that you're facing. And, that, and, and uh, t- as you do that, we will together become uh, participants in his divine nature. So let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for this precious faith that you brought all of us into. Thank you, God, that we're not on the outside looking in, but you have brought us in. And we share in that same faith that, that peter experienced in the first century and lord we thank you for these great and precious promises that you've given to us lord we thank you for uh, uh each one of them and how powerful they are lord and, and and lord they are something for us to stand on something that gives us hope in the midst of dark times god give us courage to trust in your promises so that we may stand on them so that we would not be corrupted so that we would not Uh, stumble, especially in this challenging season that we're in. God, I pray for every person that's listening to this, that they would find the promises of your word that they're needing to hear right now, God, that you would highlight those passages that they really need to grab hold of. Uh, Maybe it's just for this week, maybe it's for this year. Lord, I pray that they would find them and stand on them in the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for sharing, Todd. And um, we've got a couple of questions. And if anyone has a question, you've got about one minute to type it in, and we may be able to get to it. So I think that, um, yeah, there's two questions that really kind of touch on the same thing. Um, How can we make this even more practical? So you've spoken about. Finding promises from God that apply directly to our lives and beginning to own them and hang on to them and cling to them. and so that that is a really great practical. Um, but one thing that I want to go back to is the verse about grace and peace and growing in it um, through growing in the knowledge of the Lord. I'd, you know, I'd like to know from you personally, what are some of the practical ways that you've found or that you've heard of to grow in grace and grow in peace? And so, you know, like situation comes up and it pushes your buttons and you want to grow in peace in the moment. I mean, it sounds because grace and peace are like a really great idea. They sound really nice. Um, but how do we make it more than sort of this, like, nice idea and really make it into something that we're experiencing and growing in more and more?
1: Uh, Well, since I've mastered both of these things, (laughs) just kidding, um, no, I, I, think, um, for me, obviously this is a process. This is a process that we're growing in and, and, you know, just like a infant has to learn to crawl before, uh. He or she learns to walk. We will be, you know, it's a it's a process of learning how to do these things. Um, but the good news is, there's never that growth process never ceases. And the people that I know that really, uh, really walk with God, you see what you see in their lives is grace and peace in their life. That those are characteristics that mark them. I think for me, as I have, you know, I've been a Christian for. Uh, a long, long time now, um, almost 40 years. And I think what I have learned over the years is, uh, you know, some of the, the places where I really have learned to walk in peace, for example, um, are the places where I am like on the verge of a meltdown. You know, I'm really angry about something. I'm really frightened by something. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm experiencing um, real darkness or fear. Um, that's when the promises of God really come in. You know, uh, take fear, for example, you know, I, I've had times when I have had just irrational fear that just doesn't make any sense. And, and, you know, I can, I could tell myself all the logical right things, but that's just not answering the need of my heart. And what I grab onto in those moments are the promises of God. You know, God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I mean, I have quoted that over and over and over again when I'm, I'm afraid, um, and, and when when, you know, just thinking it through isn't going to get me out of that situation. Um, but it's as we learn how to take our thoughts, not take our eyes off of our circumstances and put them on what uh, put them on God, whether that's just through worship or whether that's through, you know, looking at God's promises or whether that's through, um, you know, just simply. I don't know, just uh, uh, maybe going for a walk and just being outdoors, whatever it is to take your eyes off of your circumstances and fix your heart on God, that practice over time, you begin to uh, develop a muscle that you you can grab onto quicker and quicker. And you learn instead of panicking and freaking out and getting upset um, to grab a hold of the peace of God.
0: That's great. And can I add something on to what you've just said as well? Um, another way of looking at that is that we learn how to exchange our thoughts and our fears and receive the thoughts of God towards our situation. And so that's the beauty of the cross is there's always an exchange that can take place. And so, And so when we meditate on those promises, it helps to we can cast off the thoughts that we have and receive the truth of what he wants to say. And so, like Todd said, oftentimes in the moment when we're really dealing with something that's that's emotionally triggering us, it's trying to connect with the person of Christ in that place and just say, you know, Holy Spirit, show me what's happening here. Holy Spirit, give me insight. You know, what are your thoughts about this situation? What are your perspective? And when we listen to what he says about things, goodness, that just like breaks off the turbulence that we're carrying around inside of us when we receive his thoughts towards the situation, towards ourselves. And then you practice, you practice that over and over again, and it becomes more of a habit. And then your grace and peace increases along the way. So along with that, just a quick question that was asked, Todd, is, um, you know, in terms of what we're talking about, in terms of, say, like the promises of God from the word, how many times do you do that a day? And how do we start, you know, how do we start doing them every day and, and how many times? What, what does that look
1: like? Yeah, well, uh, I think a couple of things. First of all, there's the principle of first things. Uh, the first things you do with your day often set the tone of your day. So if I go and pick up my phone and start scrolling through Twitter um, and see what I'm supposed to be angry about today, or if I go to Facebook and kind of just get lost on there, if I go to the news and find out probably what I need to be anxious about today, those things often set the tone of my day and it makes it difficult for me to um, abide in those truths. Um, so one of the things that I try to do, and I don't do it perfectly, but I, I really try to start the day by not looking at the news, by not looking at my phone, because who knows what texts have come in over the night that I probably don't need to know about right away. And, and I want to give the first moments of my day to God. And so like I, said, I that prayer, I've already modeled it for you, of, of what I actually start my prayer off with is something like, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you today. Show me the way I should go. Thank you that I have been united with you and that I am in you and you are in me and that apart from you, I can do nothing. And then I'll just pause and kind of let that truth settle into my heart. And then I move on from there. But I want that to be kind of the basis that I'm living out of. So I start there. But then the second thing that I would do is if I'm battling something um, or if I'm really wanting something to sink deep into my heart, then it's like I said, you, you take these scriptures and you can just put them where you're going to see them like put them on the screensaver on your phone or uh or you know post them on note cards around your house or uh on your bathroom mirror so you can see it when you're brushing your teeth and in the morning and in the evening or on your bedside table just something And, and it helps me like sometimes i'll put things up and then i i don't see them anymore after a while and so kind of sometimes it helps to put them in different places so it keeps popping up but i think um, just recognizing that our minds are, are weak. You know, we get distracted easily. And so repetition and just kind of um, immersing yourself in it as best you know how. You know, like, you know where you're, you tend to get distracted. You know where you're going to be on a regular basis. Put reminders for yourself in those places. That's
0: great. That's great. Um, and one person suggested too that we can we can say, we can make it a prayer. God, help me to um, remember what You've shown me before. Bring, bring back to me, um, you know, the uh, victories that we've had in our relationship. <laughs> Remind me of the things that I already know and are buried deep within me, but I need for right now because the Holy Spirit loves to bring things to our remembrance. And so that can also be a part of your journey in in um, in the moment um, or day by day is is just helping us to remember things because we do so easily forget thank you for listening today to listen to more messages like this one head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast we are looking forward to
1: seeing you soon